Exploring the Word of God together allows us to share in the joy that comes from discovering the words of hope and salvation which overflow from our Bibles. Upper Room Media presents to you this educational, enlightening and entertaining Bible study. Prepare to be transformed. In the name of the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. If you guys remember, we said the book of Proverbs is considered to be like three key sections. The first one is simply addressed to young children or young adults. And then the second section is general wisdom to everybody. The last section is about more about leadership. We said that the first sections is divided into 10 lectures. And we are in lecture seven. And each lecture usually starts with my son hear my instruction, incline your ear, and so on. We are in lecture 7, which is chapter 4. Last time we stopped at verse 23. And the point of this lecture was that the father is telling the son, do not swerve away from the wisdom I give you. And verse 23 we ended with last time, he was telling him that guard your heart. Whatever enters my heart, whatever I believe in, will impact the way I live. And our spiritual life with God is all about what I possess in my heart. The Lord said, the kingdom is within you. So I must guard my heart. What feelings, what thoughts, what ideas I let in my heart. Some people would accept a defeat, accept discouragement, they accept doubts in their hearts. What do I let in my heart? Some people accept the life of adoption and that they are the center of attention of God. It's a different mindset of what you accept into your heart. Then he's telling him in verse 24, put away from you a, from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far away from you. Usually the mouth is given the, the, the pride of whom, for it is the direct channel to your heart. Everything that enters your heart would require you to engage in it more. One of the scholars used, used to say, as one speaks, so he is. Whatever you say is that reflects who you are. And this is in Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. And in Romans it says, For with the heart one believes unto unrighteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's a strong link between the heart and the mouth. So the conversation I'm entering in is very important. That's why I have to be careful about superficial habits of like talks that have no purpose, grumbling, complaining, useless jokes, half-truth, all these things that I could get into quickly, it will really impact my heart. If you notice in this lecture, the father speaks to the son as he is one that is wise. Why is he speaking to him as one who is wise? Because he is actually listening and partaking of being discipled by his father. 
Then he's letting him, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelid look right before you. So just like the mouth should not deviate, the eyes must not swerve. You must, your eyes must be not divided and it's attention on the path of the Lord. When people, for example, want to spend a lot of times watching shows online and watching things on social media, it really does cause divided attention. It really does take away from what I want to store in my heart. In Proverbs, actually 27, 20, it says something interesting. It says, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. People can look and look and look, and they'll never be happy. To me, it's interesting uh, share something, maybe a bit off topic, but it's related. Uh, Elon Musk made a statement. He said, most people want to be me, but they don't know all what goes inside of me. If they know, they would not want to be me. So the eyes and the mouth are big keys to the heart. That's why I have to be very careful. Sincere of Jerusalem said something beautiful. It said, someone will say, what then is sin? Is it an animal, an angel, a demon? What is this which infects us? Then he answers, he says, rush to assure, it's not an enemy attacking from without, but an evil springing up from within you. Let your eyes look straight ahead, and there exists no evil desire. So as when I look ahead at the instruction that God has given me, and the life that God has given me, evil desires will go away. And that's a beauty of it. Why do we have evil desires? Because our eyes are not focused. We give our eyes divided attentions all day long. And then he tells him, ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. He's telling him, make sure every step you take, you're aware where you're going, what directions you're taking. Because any big fall starts with small decisions. Nothing starts with a big fall at once. And in the book of uh, Psalms, it says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. If every action I'm taking is to keep the commandments of God, then my eyes and my ways will not desire evil. So if you ask me, how can I stop desiring evil? Here's the answer. And then he's telling him something beautiful. He says, do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from all evil. You know, Aristotle had a philosophy about, there are, he's always tell people, stay away from extremes. But this is not what this verse is saying. It's saying you must attach yourself to the commandments of God. And do not swerve from it left or right. And even in the absolutions of the priest, 
We talk about the right attacks and the left attacks. The left attacks, we're all familiar with it, like sin and passion and pride and love of money and the flesh of the, and the desire, lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. That really is the right, the left attack. What is the right attack? The right attack is when sins take a spiritual form. Like somebody, for example, tries to share so much spiritual knowledge but motivated by pride. It's okay for him to embarrass somebody so he can look better. Somebody, for example, would use anger and disrespecting people to convey a spiritual concept. Or somebody, for example, would offer financial help to a family, but then he would try to interfere with their life and judges them. Some people, for example, with the right extremes, they end up following a person, not a principle or doctrine. Like some people be, anything that this father, father so-and-so says, I follow. But no principle, no doctrines. And what is the problem with that? That people end up form, forming cliques and binding their anxieties to a, a, group of, a group of people that belong to a person, not to God. And that's against, that's one of those right attacks. For example, sometimes people, you've seen this a few times where people would raise their voice and get angry as expression of zeal to the church. I cannot use wrong means to justify a good end. Some people, for example, because they hear a lot about the life of the saints, they start assuming visions and they start assuming gifts they don't have. And that's a form of right attack. Okay? And many people have fell into that trap where they get into this problem. Some also people in the spiritual context, they start treating some people better than others. And deep inside, they are not fair with everybody. All these things are issues. Some people would go jump from one father to another, another until they hear what they want to hear. So this is all right attacks that could come to us. So I have to be very careful about the right attacks because when it comes, when it comes in our spiritual life, sometimes people might be extremely far away from God. Without realizing, and the and actually in the uh, Pauline today in the scripture, the Bible put being covetous and being judgmental with murder. But there is a there's a lot more for people who come to church to really also reflect about. This finishes lecture seven. Now we're going to start lecture eight. Lecture eight is really important because it talks about adultery and the wisdom of marriage. And lecture eight, if you guys want to take some notes, introduction is split into two parts. Verse one to two is more like the regular call that we're used to, come, give attention, pay, pay, pay attention. And then three to six, he's telling him the motivation, why he should pay attention to this lecture. 
And then from verse 7 to 20 is the body of the lecture. From 7 to 14, he's telling him about the problem of adultery. From 15 to 20, he's talking to him about the wisdom of marriage and why marriage is really important. And then he conclude, the conclusion is from verse 21 to 23. He actually does use interesting words to connect the different parts. So in the introduction, for example, he connects the two parts with the word for in verse 3. And he also uses the same word to, con to connect the conclusion. And also when he wants to connect uh, the introduction to the body, he uses so now, and then he kind of goes on to give his reason or he give his lesson. Same thing at the very end to connect the, the lesson to the, to, the, to the the conclusion. He also uses now why in verse 20. I'm just giving you this because it's really nice when you look at the lecture to try to be able to see the structure because every lecture he does changes a bit more of the structure but he always adds the creative points and he always finds different ways to grab the attention of the child. He says, my son, pay attention to my wisdom, lend your ear to my understanding. Remember in other lectures, you always tell him, listen to my words, listen to my saying. This lecture is telling him, lend your ear to my understanding. Why is this important? He's going to talk about adultery. He's going to talk about sexual sins. And part of these sexual sins and adultery has to do with what goes inside the human desire and human heart. She's asking him, I want you to be open. So it's like you talk to somebody, be like, look, I'm going to have a serious conversation, but I want you to understand me. He's diffusing any, uh, any attitude of coming uh, with lack of discipleship. If this lecture specifically requires a lot of discipleship. And he's telling him, my understanding, you guys remember Solomon is means king of peace. So it shows us that these are wisdom coming from God. It's important to keep in mind that this lecture is most likely to a married person. But if you guys, um, if you guys obviously know, maybe know or you don't know, people at this age, at this time used to marry very young. So Hosea, for example, was married at the age of 14. And Joachim was married at the age of 16. In Egypt, at that time, the girl's average age of marriage was 12. And a man's average age of marriage was 15. And we don't have to go far. If you look at even our grandparents, if uh, most of our grandparents were married actually at a very young age. My own grandparents were 14 and 19 when they got married. So it's, not, it's really not a uncommon at that time where people actually would get married young. So he's talking to somebody who's young but married, okay? They tell him that you may preserve desertion and your lips may keep knowledge. Why is he talking, this is really interesting to me, why is he talking to him about adultery? He's telling him that you might guard your lips. It's really interesting. Why is he telling them? Because it's very easy for people when they're talking to involve in inappropriate comments or flirting or people can rush to show interests and try to show emotional connection with people. If I'm telling him, I'm going to give you this lecture to watch how you speak to people. Because people can be very flirtatious 
and can talk in a way that could open doors of fire on them. So pay careful attention. And in Malachi it says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the love and mouth of the priest, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So he's telling him, pay attention to speak always the teaching I have given you. Okay? Taban is telling him, um, he's telling him that you have to be careful, that your lips must repeat and discuss all the things I have taught you, because if you don't do that, the alternative might not be wisdom. And that becomes a problem. So what is the motivation? So verse 3 to verse 6 is motivation. Listen to what he says. He says, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. He's telling him, be careful, because someone might be inviting to you to sin, and you quickly can fall into it quickly by simply conversations, by simply talking. Be careful, because you'll not be able to stand an enticement of a sinful situation. That's why when it comes to sexual sins or sexual temptations, the Bible teaches us to flee. If you guys remember the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, what did Joseph do? He did not say, well, no, let me stay in the situation and pray. He ran. He ran. And you know, as I was reading, as I was reading the, the, this lesson specifically, it applies to us much more today than even it used to apply back then. Because of the amount of um, temptation that's available to people through all the apps and the social media and all these things. And it becomes much harder for people sometime to be able to avoid this. He's telling him, for the lips of an immoral woman drip honey. As I was telling you earlier, there is, there is an inseparable connection between the conversations or the words I listen to and the temptation I fall into, the music I hear, the conversations I have. What impression I give to people? For example, many times uh, a guy, I'll give you just an example, a guy would know like a girl is interested in him and he might not be interested, but because he knows this fact, he might take advantage of her and might start flirting with her feeling. So the type of conversation I have could really open many doors for temptation. Later on, by the way, the, the father will command his son to enjoy his wife in, in verse 18, but right now he's giving him his advice. He's telling him, uh, it drips honey. Yani, it's easy for people to feel that the temptation is so nice and so beautiful, okay? and would satisfy all their needs and it really can make anybody fall but when the time of sacrifice comes they disappear he's telling him he's telling him here if you look at this verses and her mouth is smoother than oil 
Her mouth is smoother than oil. The problem is, is that she draws her victim in a way of focus a lot more on excitement. You know, there's a big problem with human imagination. And there's a clinical psychiatrist who said one time, he said, people are more obsessed with the novelty of the sin than even the healthy relationship. And people in reality tend to have uh, a loving relationship, an expression of love much better in a committed relationship. But the war of sexuality and this sin is all over our society. Because it is a door, it is a big door that the evil can enter our thoughts and our minds. To the point that some people make sexuality as a form of their identity. How they dress, how they talk, how where they go, what they do, is all related to how they look at their sexuality. And obviously our sexuality is not our identity. It's not. And it will not be carried with us in heaven. The Lord said in heaven will be like the angels in heaven. They will not marry. There will be a relationship of brothers and sisters. So, and also the drive of, of sexuality is reduced with age. So it cannot be an identity. It is something that God put in our hearts for a specific reason. When he's telling her, her mouth, her lips drips honey and oil, it's basically saying the barrier to entry is so easy. Right now, people have access. This is Solomon saying this, you know, 3,000 years ago. But for us right now, the barrier to access wrong materials is nothing. People have access to these temptations all over. Sincero for Jerusalem said, What does it profit a man to be an expert theologian if he is a shameless fornicator or to be noble? Uh, temperate but an impious blasphemer. The knowledge of doctrine is a precious position. So it does not make sense that people get buffed up in knowledge, but it does not reflect in their spirituality. And then he says, but in the end she is bitter than a wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. After somebody falls into the sin, the trap of sin. The child of God will feel guilty. You know, like when I was taking a class about addiction, one of the things they taught us, they said, addiction takes away what it promises to give. It promises to distress you, eventually it will make you more stressed. It promises to relieve your pain, eventually you will have less tolerance for pain. It promises to, for, to make you forget your problems. Eventually, your problems will get bigger. So, she's saying that the impact after this is very difficult. Wormwood is usually often referred to a bitter and a poisonous plant. 
and she's a two sh uh, sharp edge uh, sword because she's very cruel what does it mean cruel that when somebody falls in temptation even we have seen this it could impact their uh, spiritual life emotional life some reputation could be ruined some people now unfortunately online they can blackmail some people people can fall into despair she stabs people without realizing some people can fall into uh, disease some people can be convinced of false sort of love keep in mind that this goes for both gender obviously here he's talking the listen to a man but in the scripture specifically when it talks when it directs to a man it includes men and women and in the scripture because some people feel like you know like the scripture um, refers a lot to men in so many in so many things god is referred to as a man here the lesson is directed to a man but also the scripture refers to the devil as in a in a in a, a masculine form the goal is this is this has to do a lot more with um, people understanding if I talk to the man, it refers to men and women because the woman was taken out of men. It has nothing to do, so this is not directed only to men, directed to men and women. We have to be careful. He says, Her feet go down to death, her steps lay hold of hell. He talks about the, the, the consequence of the sin. He says, the, the path of the sin, the path of this. Uh, uh, temptation death and why does he say this there, there was actually in the laws of Moses there was capital punishment for somebody who was committing adultery for example if you look in Leviticus uh, 20 10 he says the man who commits adultery with another man's wife he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death Obviously, I also want to keep in mind, because some people miss this part, there are a lot of sins in the Old Testament. When you commit them, the punishment is death, but also there are remedies for repentance. You can go offer sacrifice. You can go run to the city of refuge. You can, um, you can, you can touch the horn of the altar. So there are other remedies for you to ask God for forgiveness. Okay, and today we have these remedies in repentance and confession. But look also what does it say about committing adultery? In Leviticus 19.20 it says, Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot, lest the land fall into harlotly and the land become full of wickedness. What does that mean? When I allow the sin of... of uh, the sin to enter my thoughts and my heart, it makes even my own home unholy. My own car unholy, my own bedroom are unholy. I think I have to be careful because when it enters, it defiles whatever I am in. And then he says, lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable, you do not know them. He's basically telling him that this sin makes you wander aimlessly. 
in moral darkness. There's no direction. When people start falling into these sort of habits, there's more direction. And it's unstable. There is there's no clarity where you're going. When that sort of temptation takes over, people lose their thoughts and their minds. And the evil would make people uh, look at these sins in ways where it makes them uh, almost be controlled by it. There are some people who even were fired from their jobs because of addiction to some of these sins. By the way, he's giving him the remedy already. He's telling him, ponder on the words of God, the wisdom of God, the commandments of God, and do not have your attention undivided. And now he's telling him why he should listen to him. Now, the listen from uh, verse 7 to 14, he's going to talk to him about what the folly of adultery, the problem with adultery. He says, therefore, hear now, my child, do not depart from the words of my mouth. This is a constant him calling him to listen, to persevere. There's one concept that I think it's really important for us. A lot of times when we hear something that we've heard before, we're like, I've heard this before. But what does it do? It keeps these concepts and these ideas more steadfast in your heart. So even like you think about it in terms of food, like, you know, if you're walking by, you haven't eaten like McDonald's in a while. Maybe if you see the sign, you're like, you know what? I'm craving McDonald's today. Just the fact that you see it keeps it. And by the way, this is how people build a brand name. Building a brand name is making sure that people see the brand so many times to the point that they build good awareness for it. That it's in their head. Once they see, they see the M, they see the, the Green Queen, they know it's Starbucks, whatever it is. But they build that, they build that, that kind of a brand name in their head. It says, remove your way from her, sorry, remove your way far from her and do not get near to the door of her house. It's saying, do not give her access to you. If you look in Matthew 5, 28, the Lord says it, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, He's telling us here, be careful not to even get close. Do not allow any part of this sin to enter. It's unfortunate now, I look at younger girls and younger boys, all what they're obsessed with, unfortunately, relationships or boys or girls, and what they see and what they share and what they talk about, it goes all contrary what the wisdom would say. Clement of Alexandria said, you should also be particularly careful of your eyes, for it is better to slip with your feet than with the eyes. The Lord offers a remedy for this weakness. Indeed, with Kurt's words, if your eyes scandalize you, cut it out. Basically saying, be careful about the eyes. This is where all the stimulation goes into our life. So what's the problem with, what's the problem with these sins? It says, lest you give your honor to others and your ears to the cruel one. 
What's the negative consequences of not paying? He's telling him that you, your, your splendor or your, your honor, which represents basically your life, a life worth of living. The concept of you feeling my life is worth living and it's beautiful, it will be given away. Because sin makes somebody ashamed, not confident, preoccupied with the elements of sin constantly. And by the way, he's telling him that it is your own responsibility for falling in that poverty. Do not blame your phone, do not blame your family, do not blame other people. He says to him, lest you give honor to others. The cruel here, obviously, he talks about the, the merciless or the, the person who shows no mercy. And it probably refers to the evil. And you will see it in Jeremiah 30, 14. He says, all your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement, the chastisement of a cruel one for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. So the Lord talks in Jeremiah and says, I have allowed the enemy to wound you because your sins have increased. It was not a way of punishment, but more a way to bring them back, chastisement. Bring back people to the Lord. And then he tells him, what is the other problem with the, with the sin? What's the problem with adultery? So number one, it makes your ability to enjoy life low. The second one is telling him, list aliens be filled with your wealth and your labor go to the house of a foreigner. He's basically telling him, your inner capacity to reduce wealth will be reduced. Okay, obviously, in the time, in the time of, of of Solomon, people who fall into adultery could could actually require by law to live as slaves as a consequence of their adultery. But for us, people who fall into these temptation, especially if they are uh, if they are in marriage relationship, it could cause a lot of hurt, a lot of broken homes, a lot of uh, problems that people suffer with for the rest of their life beside all the spiritual problems that come with. So, it is important for people to be careful. Be careful about what you invite people to do on your social media, on your messages, in your conversations. Be careful about where you put your focus on, what your thoughts are going to. And he's telling him, and you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. Here he is, 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 he is combining the social and the physical loss together. He's telling him you, are, you will groan. People at the end of their life, they look back and be like, wow, I've wasted so much time in things I could have avoided. Things have consumed me so much, I broke many people's hearts. And I could have done much better. In Hebrews, it says what? Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Continue, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace 
lest any root of bitterness spring up, cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. When I was reading this verse in Hebrews, it's tough. What is he saying? Saying Esau sold his birthright for food. But later on, he asked for that blessing again. He could not have it. So when I allow sin to control my life, I will be losing blessing. And this is the warfare of the devil, uh, uh, which plays with a lot of people. When somebody commits a sin, especially a, a sexual sin, they say, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to go confess. Let me, you know, enjoy it until I see Abuna. But what's the problem with that? The problem is that you're losing the blessing. And not only you're losing the blessing, your ability to overcome the sin becomes completely diminished because subconsciously you're forming a habit of sin and that becomes a problem I don't want people to look at this verse and feel discouraged because God can restore us if we quickly repent and change our ways and we come back to him but it's important to know that if I continue to persevere in that path, I could lose a lot of blessing. And then he says, and, ha and he says, how I have hated instruction and my heart despised correction. So people one day will be like, man, I wish I would have listened. I wish I've, I've, I've followed what people have told me. Some people might never admit the wrong in front of people, but deep inside their heart they will. Okay? We have to be very careful because some confessions will lead to repentance and some confessions reflect regret, but they lead nowhere. And then he says, I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined ear to those who instruct me. You see here he's using the, 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 the teachers as plural, refers to many teachers. There's a lot of people around us who teach us and guide us. He says, I have not listened to them. Many who uh, taught me, by the way, the word taught me, does not talk about teaching verbally, but it's more actually those who accustomed, accustomed me to do something. Like when you know you were young, your parent pushed you to come to church and come to liturgy and take communion, and they help you to build a habit. For all those who got me used to all these habits, I'd be like, man, I wish I would have listened to them. And then... Um, the last part of that part of the lesson says, I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. He's almost talking about uh, 
the son, in a way, after he realized his own mistake, and now reflecting on his own life and repenting, he says, when I looked, I looked back. He says, I, I was in the verge of, I was almost very close to be lost. But God have brought me back. Okay? And this is, um, it's almost he's creating a vivid picture that includes like the, the leaders of the city and their conversations about somebody who have committed adultery and strayed away and he's coming back. So he's really saying, uh, I was on the verge of ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. But God led him back to to a life of repentance. From verse uh, 15 to 20, he's going to talk about the beauty of marriage and why I should be careful. First, he told him, why is it a problem to fall into adultery? Because your ability to live, your desire to live, your ability to have a resilience in life, your ability to uh, even be uh, do well in life. Obviously, when people go through difficulties, they can waste a lot of their money, a lot of resources, a lot of their time. This is all these things will be much better if you stay away from this. And he's very strict. He tells him, do not give it an inch. And I just want to make sure it ties back to the conversation. It's what I hear and what I see. Okay? And next time we'll talk more about what's the wisdom of marriage and why marriage is so important. Um, and that will be the conclusion of this lesson. And glory be to God forever and ever. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.